<clears throat> the section of the text we're in this morning is in verse 3. Do I got to eat this mic in order to be heard? Or? No, no. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Never did like microphones. I feel like I got to like stand away from it. It's just in my face. Nobody likes anything in their face. Unless it's somebody they love. <clears throat> well, let's... Uh, Let's read that section, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and unto godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word that has come down to us uh, through the centuries. Unchanged, preserved. We thank you, Lord. We can trust both you and it to guide us in the way of peace. Guide our footsteps aright. In a world that has uh, largely uh, cast you off, thank you. There is a a sure word that we can trust in. Grant us grace, Lord, uh, this morning as we delve into that word. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a scripture this morning that struck me, and I think I'll just start with that. It's 
was trying to remember where it was. I think it was in Second Kings. Uh, that's not really going to help me. I know I wrote it down somewhere. in 2 Kings 18.5. No matter how many times I've read this section, I, if I start reading it, if I'm looking for something, then I just keep reading and I end up reading the whole story because it's uh, such a... There are some highlights through the unfaithfulness of Israel, there are some real highlights. Second Kings 18, 18 and verse 5. <clears throat> we'll start reading in verse 3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the, of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And this is uh, speaking of Hezekiah. He removed the high places and brake the images and cut down the groves and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he did call it uh, Nehushtan. Speaking of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. I thought about that statement immediately. I thought, wow, is he greater than Josiah, who perhaps um, it was said of him similar words. But um, I thought they were two different men, two different circumstances. And one was that he was in a time, if you could say, national crisis. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and that caused a backlash. And Assyria came and surrounded them. And perhaps uh, Josiah had a different circumstance. He was in a time when um, there had been 70 years of uh, idolatry, that reached a fever pitch under the reign of Manasseh, and he was seeking to turn that back. But there was nothing in the way of enemies at the gate, so to speak. And um, it was Hezekiah who, in a time when he could have caved, that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. His promises, his person, and... And the people trusted in his word. They, in a sense, trusted in his trust of God. And uh, they, yeah, they had a great victory. And our situation is much different. We're in a time not of enemies at the gate. Um, our enemies are much more subtle. 
But we're in a time of great ease, a time of uh, great peace. And that is a time when, yeah, it's, you, you search the scriptures and see what it's like. For men, when they were at ease, they often fell into unfaithfulness. And when men were at war, they, yeah, they had things on their mind. Uh, that was defeating the enemy or being killed, one or the other. And time of ease is very uh, yeah, difficult to overcome. But nonetheless, here we are. And the promises of God are the same, whether in a time of ease or in a time of war. So let's, uh, with that reminder about trusting in God, we'll turn back to Second uh, Peter. <clears throat> Just by way of uh, review, where we've been. <clears throat> According as his divine power hath given unto us. And you'll notice in verse 4 it says, Whereby are given unto us. So we have been given great and precious promises. uh, The word of God. And he has, um, through his person, he has certified those things. And we are um, a people that has become used to people not keeping their promises. It's unfortunate, but that is uh, the way things are. And there's a, a couple ways not to keep your promises. One, you make a promise, and then through some calamity, you can't keep it. Some lack of health, some... Uh, extenuating circumstance that doesn't allow you to keep your promise. And then there would be, you make a promise, and through unfaithfulness or selfishness or whatever it might be, you don't keep your promise. And we're used to that too. (laughs) In fact, uh, many of our, uh, it's not just in our country, politicians the world over make promises that um, and people usually think after 10,000 times of guys not keeping their promise that this guy's going to be different, <laughs> but usually he's not. And there's a combination of those things. He's just not able to make it happen. And through unfaithfulness or just plain lying, then tell you what you want to hear and then later on just have no intention of keeping their promise. But God is not like that. He... Um, He makes a promise, and when he speaks, in a sense, he's making a promise. His word is sure, and if he says something, even though it's not stated as a promise, you could take it as if it was. And I just thought of one. uh, There's many more promises than I have uh, gone through the scriptures, many more. But here's one. Uh, He said, He who loves his life shall lose it, 
but he who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel shall find it. He didn't say, by the way, this is a promise. (laughs) He just made a statement that is true, and you will find it to be true if you uh, live that out. Either in the negative, to love your life, or in the positive, to, as I believe the Lord said, hate your life in this world, and you will have it in the life to come. There are a multiplicity of different statements that uh, God has made, which aren't specifically stated as promises, which you could, in a sense, take it as such. And I figure if a human being can make a promise um, and keep it, even though perhaps unperfectly maybe wavering on the way there, If a human being can do that, how much more God who is control of all uh, things and has none of those uh, hindrances. He isn't unfaithful. He isn't thwarted by difficult circumstances. And he can keep uh, all of his promises. And I know that, uh, yeah, some people think that, mm, well, it's, it's kind of hard for people to keep promises, but yes, but that's what a promise is. It may be difficult to keep a promise, but you're going to keep it. When you stand at the altar um, and you get married, you make a promise that you're going to be faithful to this woman till death do you part. And God help you if you're saying that and you can't keep that promise. We're in a generation that uh, yeah, can't even do that. So I think because the standard's been lowered that we get used to both people and we can maybe project on God something that just uh, is all too common with men but is not uh, with God. <clears throat> Because it says there, as his divine power hath given unto us. So Christ, we, I think we covered that last time, Christ has wrought those things. His divine power was manifest in the birth of Messiah. His divine power was manifest on the cross in the defeating of Satan. And his divine power was manifest in the coming of the Spirit hundreds uh, of years ago, and that's been uh, given to us, all of those things. The Spirit's been given to the people of God, those that would uh, trust in him. So nothing has changed, uh, whether it's enemies at the gate or whether it's believing God's word. Uh, Trust in a trustworthy person is really what it comes down to that his word is sure and no one will find it empty an empty promise <clears throat> you 
And he's been given all these promises or divine powers been given us to all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There isn't something that we're missing, uh, something that um, somehow isn't given in the word of God and by the spirit of God that wouldn't give a full and, if I could say, you understand what I'm saying, and perfect life. There isn't anything lacking. You know, I'm sure that you uh, women have been in the kitchen and you're set out to make something and then you realize, oh, you got the thing half made and you realize, I don't have any, and you, the whole thing is kaput if you can't put this certain thing in it. But it isn't like that with God. He has... Uh, given unto us everything that's necessary for life and godliness. And I don't believe, uh, although it, yeah, it's, it's there, I don't believe he's talking about physical life. Uh, as much as he has promised us that we're going to have um, things necessary for our need, He promises us that, um, but our needs um, or our supply now greatly surpasses our needs. Um, We need very little to live. We want a lot of stuff, but uh, he promises to give us what we need, whether that's uh, food and drink and clothing. That's the things that are promised in the word of God to meet our needs. Everything else is a frill, uh, whether it be a a house or... I think having a house in Canada is a a need. You can't be living outside, or I guess you could, but it would be extremely uncomfortable, and you'd have to make some kind of shelter. But uh, for the most part, we take that as a, a need. You have to have some place to live to get outside in the cold. And... uh but we have uh, far surpassed that in our country. So God promises to give us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And if the Lord said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, I believe that what he is really referring to is um, life as God would have it. Uh, God doesn't have any outside of this. Before creation, God didn't have any things. It was just him. And, and he uh, was life, the, uh, the essence of it. So everything that pertains to life and godliness, living a godly life and living life, <clears throat> Through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Everything is through that we have is through the knowledge of God. Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. He just piles on the um, superlatives. He, He says they're exceeding. And they're great and they're precious promises. 
And thus we'll launch into what those are, the, uh, the promises of God and how uh, they have come down to us. And how we can not only um, trust but expect that they'll be fulfilled in our lives. And the, it's really God has made those promises, but it's up to us to trust. He cannot fulfill his promises in you unless you trust. It's impossible. When you think of Hezekiah, he, uh, he had the promises of God. He had the word of God. But it was him that had to trust. And if he didn't, he would have failed. He would have, uh, the enemies would have deceived them because they were offering them peace terms. Um, they were offering them prosperity. And uh, he turned it down. He knew that they were lying. And he had to trust in the word of God. And he had, I don't believe there were any, uh, were there any prophets there speaking to him? He, uh, he trusted. It was Josiah who trusted God that when he read his word, he was going to fulfill it. And the fulfilling of it was the wrath upon the nation. It wasn't a positive thing, but he trusted in the word of God. He rent his clothes. Uh, two different circumstances there. But God had made promises in the positive, and he'd made promises in the negative. And he heard that, and he trusted in them. So really, it does, at the end of the day, God has made promises, but it comes down to us to have faith in those promises. I'll never forget that, uh, I don't know, you probably will remember that Jake Dreger preached a message. I don't recall the whole thing, but he said there's some things that you have to do yourself. God isn't going to come down and twist your arm to read his word. He's just not going to do it. It can sit there on the shelf while we uh, go about our day and while we have other priorities, and he's not going to make you read it. And similarly, he's not going to make you twist your arm to trust in him. He just tells you what will happen if you do. (laughs) And if you do, you will find his word true and his person trustworthy. And so let's uh, look into what those promises are. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. We go back almost to the beginning of the scriptures. Genesis 12 and verse 2. God says, 
We'll start in verse 1 for context. And now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So there we have the promises to Abraham, four of them. Um, I'll make thee a great nation. I'll bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. And we have to understand that these promises were made to Abraham. They were confirmed to Isaac and Jacob. And they were realized by the people of God. And they were fulfilled in the person of Christ. And through that um, avenue came all the blessings that were made to Abraham onto one person. And that was uh, the Lord Jesus. And lo and behold, that promise that was made to the Lord Jesus has come down to us, which uh, we shall see. That's how God fulfilled uh, his promise to Abraham. And he's going to fulfill those things in in us as well. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 20. Second Corinthians one twenty. <clears throat> this thing is really irritating. <clears throat> we'll start reading in verse uh, nineteen. For the Son of God Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus. Timotheus was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God. So I believe that right there in that scripture capsulizes the, that every promise that God made is realized uh, by the person of Christ and comes down to us so much so that you could say every promise is yes and amen uh, to the glory of God. And so there isn't... There isn't anything that you could say that hasn't been realized in the person of Christ and can't be realized by us. 
the promise to make you into a great nation. That happened in the people of, of Israel. But it, uh, just think of the great nation that has, um, has come uh, out of the preaching of the gospel. <clears throat> it says of the church, you are a holy nation. And that seed of Israel has expanded to um, all the nations. All the promises of God are yes and amen uh, to the glory of God. So turn there to Genesis 22. And we see that Abraham, after he had received that initial promise, he, um, I know it doesn't say he wavered through unbelief, but he did um, go through times when his faith was challenged and waned, and he didn't understand why certain things were happening and why... um, why the promise hadn't come yet, why it hadn't been fulfilled. And he, from the time he got that promise until the time the promise of a son was fulfilled was at least 25 years. It's a long time to, uh, to get a promise, and it wasn't like he had a Bible to read. He, um, He just had a spoken word of God and years in between when he uh, hadn't heard from God uh, at all. So in uh, chapter 22 and verse 15. So God has asked him to do something. He's made a promise to him that uh, through Isaac... His seed would be reckoned. The promises of God were going to come through Isaac. And then God says, go and offer him as a burnt offering. So his his faith was challenged. uh, And he trusted in the word of God. He knew that if he killed Isaac, that he would be raised from the dead. God didn't tell him that. That's what he deduced by the fact that God had made a promise, and the promise depended on this son living. And if I kill this son, then God has to raise him from the dead because God is true to his promises. That was his reasoning, even though um, God doesn't tell him that. It says that in Hebrews that he, re- he reckoned a reason that God was going to raise him from the dead. And so in uh, Genesis 22 and verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time. So the second time. The first time he says, don't kill him. Uh, Now I know uh, that you love God. And said, by myself I have sworn. So God swears by himself because there's no one greater to swear than by himself. So God swears he makes a promise and here he makes a promise i myself have sworn says the lord for because thou hast done this thing 
and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So God makes promises, but it is dependent on our faith. And that might sound distressing to some, but all the promises of God are activated, if I could say that, uh, by faith. Um, And the Lord put it this way, if you have faith, because everyone's saying, how much faith do I have to have? Well, the Lord said, well, if you have faith as a mustard seed, that's very little, um, but faith is still required. I don't know how else to state it than that, but you, if you don't have faith, then the promise of God will fall to the ground. It's, it's throughout the scripture. It, it's, uh, there is no other way than uh, to have faith. And many, many people have experienced both, unfortunately, things. Fortunate when they've trusted God and unfortunate when they have not. But the promise of God is still uh, true and reliable, but it requires faith. And that's, there's just no uh, way around it. And it states that very clearly here. Because all these blessings came upon Abraham, because, it says... Because thou hast obeyed my voice. And if he didn't, then those promises would not have been fulfilled in Abraham's life. Not because the promises were deficient, but because Abraham didn't have faith. But we know that he did, and therefore all those promises came to pass. And it seemed like that was the crucial moment, even though Abraham had trusted God back in... Uh, Genesis 12, when he left uh, his country, and he had trusted him in chapter 15 when he said uh, he had no son, and he said, look up at the stars and count them if you can, Um, so shall thy descendants be. And Abraham trusted God then, and then he says, go and sacrifice that son that you've waited for for 25 years, and he has another opportunity to trust God then. So, trust, 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 like, through all wavering, and if you've found that you haven't trusted God, then cast that off and trust Him again. There's no other way but to uh, trust. But one thing is for sure, the, it depends on us, if you understand what I mean. Not the the truth of the promise, but whether we're going to trust God or not. Turn to Galatians uh, chapter 3.
So the religions of the world, they, at the, at the end of the day, they, they say, yep, you got to do it on your own, and uh, you're just never sure. But it isn't like that way with God. The promises of God are sure, and when you trust him, they are activated, the divine power necessary. Uh, it's not like that in a works religion. You're never really sure. You're always hoping that what you're doing is sufficient. That, that isn't like that, but some would get the wrong idea in thinking, well, it seems to depend on me. Uh, no, it doesn't. Faith grasps the power of God, which keeps you and performs all those things. So much so that you're never going to be boasting in yourself. All religious effort that people make somehow produces pride in them. And the, they get the credit. But it isn't like that um, with God. <clears throat> in Galatians uh, 3... In verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And what was the curse of the law? Cursed is everyone that does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law to do them. So one act of unfaithfulness at one time in your life, and that's it. You're damned forever. And that is the righteousness that comes by the law. So it's futile to think that you could, um, but people do. They, they think that when they're unfaithful, that God will overlook that, and they uh, inevitably are trusting in their own works that they are righteous. But it isn't like that. <clears throat> Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Christ became a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the promise that was going to come upon Abraham that we read back there, that I'll make thee a blessing, and I'll make thy name great, that was Christ. But we have been united with Christ in such a way that he could call us brothers. And everything has is, is been wrapped up in uh, that promise and the spirit was promised for those that would what in him trust in him that that was promised many many centuries ago and was fulfilled many many centuries ago but all of it came uh, through the person of Christ Now, the land promises, we can look at those briefly. Those have been fulfilled. Genesis 12, 7. So 
so we can trace the fulfillment of those promises. Genesis 12 and verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared to him. So he promises that, and over and over and over again, if over in Genesis 13, 15, it says, For all the land which thou seest to thee I will give it, and unto thy seed forever, and I will give thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. So there's the land promise, and then there's the malt, the uh, great nation promise. And we know that if you trace that land promise through the, uh, the Pentateuch, through the books of Moses, it comes to pass in the life of Joshua. And again, in uh, the reign of David. But then, that, when that land promise is fulfilled, because of what? They lost that. Why did they lose the land, so to speak? They didn't lose the land. But idolatry. You could sum it up as unfaithfulness, lack of faith. And they, God removed them from the land, and then he brought them back promise of God to Messiah to come was fulfilled and because they rejected him then God destroyed the temple which was all prophesied in the book of Daniel the abomination that would cause desolation and then God wiped out the nation and the temple worship and everything else destroyed that whole Old Testament system. But the, God, the promises of God still went on because Christ uh, fulfilled all those things. And so that land promise was fulfilled and, um, in the nation of Israel. And we don't have such a land promise, so to speak. Our land is uh, Christ Jesus. We'll look at that New Testament land promise. Because if you search out, he says, go and look at, look at the land. Look eastward and westward. The, the height and the breadth and all of that was uh, the land promise. That wherever Abraham looked to the north and to the south, to the east and the west, that God would give uh, his people uh, that land. <clears throat> If you read in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, I'm sure Martin will cover this when he's preaching through it. Down in verse 18. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded... In love, So the language is, if I could say, land-oriented. <laughs> Why? Because it talks about being rooted 
and you're rooted in the ground. Something with roots is uh, resilient. It can't be pushed over easily. It has water and nutrients and everything else. And so, and obviously it's figurative, but it's still a figure nonetheless. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So the land promise is all the land of Christ Jesus, as it were. Every, every uh, promise, every provision is all promised in him. And it's not earthly. It's, uh, it's heavenly. It's spiritual, not physical. Notwithstanding, God promises to meet our physical needs, food and clothing and shelter, even if they be meager. But uh, God promises those things. But that land promise has, in uh, figure, been transferred unto us, that we can be uh, confident that in faith, because that's how they possessed the land. They possessed the land by faith. They, were, they didn't go into land because of unbelief. They possess the land by faith, and for us, it's the same. Uh, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are possessed, as it were, by faith. And they, are, they fall to the ground, as it were, through unbelief. There's nothing uh, that has changed. So it's, uh, and God's done it all. It's just a matter of us. Believing it. <clears throat> I think it was the prophet who said to Ahaz, if, if you do not believe, you shall not stand. And that's a promise. It's a promise in the negative. If you don't believe, you shall not stand. But we, uh, I think it was Johnny that preached last week about standing, and you stand by faith. And when you do trust God, then nothing that the devil can throw at you will prosper. And that is a promise. And where people find so much of um, yeah, insufficiency, it's not because of God. It's because of themselves. And I could, uh, I'm certainly not pointing fingers at you. Uh, and we all need to be judges of ourselves. I think we don't want to be in a place where we're pointing the finger at each other. That is, that, that is a place where I would not want to be. <laughs> and I don't believe the scripture uh, lends that. But we want to be pointing the finger at ourselves and saying, the problem is me, <laughs> not somebody else. The problem is me and my uh, lack of faith. And 
when you do lack faith, God doesn't come along and do what? What doesn't? What's that? Smack you. Yeah, there's another way of saying, um, he might give you a little spanking, but... Um, he encourages you to trust. Trust. Trust me. That's what God is saying all the time. Trust me. <clears throat> Turn to uh, Numbers 18. This is a wonderful promise. We'll see how that develops because this was promised to the uh, the priests. Matthew's talking talked about this before, but it uh, we always need reminding. <clears throat> in uh, Numbers eighteen and verse twenty, and the Lord spake unto Aaron, and thou shalt have no inheritance in their land; neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, so that is the promise, that God was their inheritance. They were the priests. They were devoted to God. Their whole lives were devoted to his service. And they didn't have any earthly inheritance. And you think, oh, they got the short end of the stick. Some would say that. Um, no, they, they got the better part. God was their inheritance. And he promises then, And behold, I've given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they had the best, they had a heavenly inheritance and they had promise of earthly provision. And that is the best that you could have. And they were the priests, and they had it the best. But if you're worldly-minded, you'd think, hmm, these guys got the short end of the stick. But not so. The Lord said that he was uh, their inheritance. And that has come to us because we are not Old Testament priests, but we're New Testament priests. And we have uh, a heavenly inheritance, and we have promise of provision here and now. And that is um, God's word unto us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> In that promise that God made to, uh, to Abraham was the land promise. And that promise was fulfilled under Joshua. But... There was a greater promise that that figure of them inheriting the land was pointing to. And that was the 
the rest that would come. And that's the spiritual rest that would come in Christ Jesus. That was what, everything was the Sabbath day and all of that. And the going into the land, that was their rest, that place. Even though there were enemies there, there was giants there. But it was a land of milk and honey. And it was a land of rest. And that's what it is for us. We're in the land now. We're in Christ Jesus, but we have enemies, but we have milk and honey. We have the best, uh, and that is Christ Jesus, who is uh, sustenance, who is joy and peace and prosperity. Not earthly prosperity, but uh, prosperity in one's soul. Let us look there at uh, Hebrews 4.1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem short of it. <clears throat> now the promise that was of rest was already fulfilled when Joshua came into the land. So what promise is he talking about? He's obviously not talking about a physical promise of going into the land, but he's talking about much more than that. Verse 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Therein is the crux of the matter. That promise cannot profit you unless you believe it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. God created rest, and his rest is more than just what's promised in this life. In verse 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying unto David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Joshua or Jesus had given them rest, then would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest unto the people of God. So the rest spoken of is ceasing from your own works and trusting in Messiah, first of all, and then having rest in your soul from having to work for your own salvation, but also ceasing from your own labors that Christ and his life would be fulfilled in you in this life, in this life, that you would cease from your own labor. Not in, in living the Christian life. Uh, it's, it's more than just entering into forgiveness of sins. It's entering into a place 
where you are living the life of Christ. And isn't that what, you know, think, oh, that's impossible. But isn't that what Paul said? Well, that's just for Paul. Uh, You don't believe that, do you? That it was just for Paul? Uh, For me to live is Christ. He said, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. So that our reactions, our thoughts and everything will be Christ. That's where we're headed in this life. We know it's going to be perfect in the life to come, but it can get better here. But it all depends on our trust in, in God and his word. So he tells them to labor to enter into that rest. We enter in when we trust in Christ and we don't stop entering in, if, if you know what I mean. It's, it's a paradox. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest there any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And the only sin that can be not forgiven is unbelief. Unbelief, you understand, in trusting in Christ. We have all uh, had times when we haven't believed God. But we just need to cast off unbelief and go forward. That's just... There is no other way. And you'll find God to be faithful to you. There just isn't any other way. Many more promises. Turn to Luke. Luke chapter 1. This is a wonderful... Wow, as I read this, I was... Yeah, lifted up. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. And this is still under the old covenant, but leaping forward into the new. And when it says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, he was, he was leaping forward and grasping uh, what was to come. And it was right at the door. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And certainly he had. And he hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And Christ was coming as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And Specifically, that was to Israel, but that's come down to us as well. Um, And the devil hates your soul and all his minions, but they cannot uh, prevail over those that have trusted in Christ. To perform the mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Uh, So... Abraham was that first one. We've already looked at it. The oath which he, which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant 
unto us that we be delivered out of the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Therein is the crux of the promise. Deliverance from enemies, sin, uh, oppressions, and everything that oppress the soul. And a holy life and righteousness all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, that's John the Baptist, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's all the promises of God, and they've been fulfilled in the person of Christ and the coming of the Spirit. And if you find a lack, it's not because the promises of God uh, somehow are not sufficient. And remember that God doesn't condemn you uh, when you have unbelief. Like the man that cried, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <clears throat> Would to God we'd always be like uh, Abraham. But when we're not. But you need to cast off unbelief nonetheless. Like a filthy garment. Just get rid of this. Coming in. <clears throat> He's going to give you light for, for darkness. He's going to give you life for death and He's going to give you peace for turmoil and torment. That's what God has promised. Turn to Acts 13. It gets better. I don't know how you can improve on the best, but (laughs) it seems like it gets better. I guess because the promises keep coming and they never seem to stop. Acts 13 and verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him from up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he says on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And what are those sure mercies? Mercies of David. Turn to uh, Psalm 89. Because whatever God did for David, he has promised that he's going to do for you. The sure mercies of David. Psalm 89, in verse 19. Now, this is a a messianic psalm. And down in verse 19, And thou spakest in a vision to thy holy one, and said, I've laid help upon one that is mighty, 
I have exalted one chosen out of the people. Now, as in many messianic psalms, you have uh, David and Christ laid upon one another. And that's no different here. It's speaking of David, but it's speaking of Christ at the same time. A dual fulfillment. David first and then Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. So he says, I've laid help upon one that is mighty. It seems like a contradiction. Why would you need to help someone that is mighty? But it was such in the life of David that sometimes he was in a place of vulnerability. He was being attacked. He was being chased. He was being harassed. But nonetheless, he was chosen out of the people, exalted above his fellows, and he was anointed. And verse 20, I found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him, with whom my hands shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. Notice this promise. So he's going to strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. Now isn't that, when you think about it, that promise that made to Abraham, these are being fulfilled in the life of David. Another promise that no enemy can stand uh, against him. God's going to plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. And I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. And he shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Now David wasn't the firstborn, he was the... Yeah, he was the last. So when it talks here about firstborn, it's not um, it's not firstborn in, in regard to uh, David's line in his family, but his preeminence. And Christ is the same. Christ was called the firstborn from the dead, but it's because he was preeminent. Now Christ was the firstborn, but David was not. And it was God's hand in exalting him. Down in verse uh, 34, my covenant will not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. That's what God is like. He's unbreakable promise. He cannot lie. I think it was uh, Henry and Lina I think she, she claimed the promise of God that uh, I would live without fear. <clears throat> she had many fears when she was going to go to Thailand. She's not here, but uh, I believe this is accurate. And she said, God, you promised. You promised that I could live without fear. 
But what does she have to do? <laughs> you know, say, God, you promised, and then run the other direction. God, you promised, and I'm going. That's... It isn't that you won't have fears. <clears throat> Paul even said, fightings without fears within. But he went, and he conquered those fears by the grace of God, by the power of God. Verse 35, once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. And that promise has been fulfilled in the person of Christ Jesus. Now sitting at the right hand of the throne on high. So you examine it for yourself. All the promises of God will be fulfilled in those that trust in Him. And that includes you. It gets better. Second Corinthians six. Second Corinthians six. Now those sure mercies that were given to David have been given to you that will trust in Messiah. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 16. Start reading in verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath, hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, and speaking of the church and the individual, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And there, here's a promise. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And what's the response to that? says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the response to the promise of God, that he would walk in them. He did that in figure in the Old Testament. He said the camp is holy. God walks about in the camp. He wasn't doing it physically. But even when somebody relieved themselves, they were to turn it over because he was going to walk in the camp. He didn't want to see anything unclean. And it's like that in our lives. You've got something unclean. You just want to turn it over. You want to get, it, get rid of it. Get it out. Whether it's in your spirit or in your life, something physical you're doing. You want to get it out. Just... Clean house. Every once in a while, we all have to clean house. Junk accumulates. We talked about that. 
sin might enter in secretly, whatever, and you need to turf it out. Faith, lack of faith might come in, and we need to throw it out and renew ourselves again because God's promise is true. So there's the response. So we, have a, we have the promise of God, but let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. And lastly, Ezekiel 36. The nice part about reading this is it's, the promise was made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but it's been fulfilled. And it's been fulfilled already for hundreds of years Ezekiel 36 and verse uh, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Now that promise was to the people of Israel but as we have noted that promise came down to us, the Gentiles um, through the person of the Lord Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones that... uh, He was going through a great trial in his life and... He was reading at the beginning of Titus. It says, from the God that cannot lie and he started to weep because he was tempted sorely I don't know what it was but um, when he read that statement the God that cannot lie as the saying goes you can take it to the bank it's it's never going to fail So let us uh, cleanse ourselves from unbelief, from from sin. Because the promises of God are sure and steadfast and unmovable. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, it doesn't say in the margin there that that's a promise, but it is. It's everything that God has said. And then when he wants to emphasize something, he says it. And he tells you that he's made an oath. He's sworn by himself. He has done that several times. 
why God has to swear when swearing was seemingly for people that were untrustworthy. And they would call on a higher authority to verify that they were saying is true. God doesn't have a higher authority, but he says, he often says, I swear by myself. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Quicken you to do what? Not live after the flesh. Not live by our own thoughts and our own ways and our own strength, but live after the Spirit of God. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Even though a child, when he has done something wrong, will fear his father. He doesn't fear him in a way like he's coming to destroy him. We've all had that. But he's coming to, maybe to chasten, but not to destroy, actually, to build up. And that's what God is like. The Spirit cries, Abba, Father, but if you're in a place of unbelief, or if you're in a place of sin... He's coming to chasten, not to destroy, but to build up and to restore. And that's what God is like. And the devil will come along and say, No, he's got some ill will toward you. And what do you say to that? In Russian, it's net. That's not true. No. In Hebrew, it's what? Low. Low? Okay. In Hebrew, it's low. You just say low. In English, you say no. It's just, it's just a lie. And the sooner we can recognize that and be clear, uh, the better. And as the devil will not give up. He is an ever fighting foe. But God's promises are true and greater and Christ lives in me by faith. And you can see the power of God. And you can cry out, Father. I think it was John Bunyan that says one of the hallmarks of a believer is that they cry. How does a mother know? What's, what's someone, when a woman's in labor, what's, 
someone listening for. If the father was in the other room, and maybe in the old days he was, but now the father's in the room, he's listening for what? But at that first time, he's going to hear crying, and you're just, "Ah, is the baby going to cry? For the Christian, that's what it is. When there's life, there is crying. You could even say screaming. (laughs) And they will not be satisfied. Uh, Said Christians are criers. Not whiners, but criers. And they cry unto God. I mean, how often do you hear this phrase in the scripture? They cried day and night. The widow that was left destitute was crying day and night. God would provide her needs. And we're the same. Uh, We're criers. We're born unto crying. Not complaining, but we're born unto crying because God is going to uh, fulfill his word in us if we but trust in him. Well, Storm, you want to rise and pray for us?